Welcome to The Machine, a podcast from Waterford Institute of Technology. My name is Rob O'Connor and I'm a lecturer in the Department of Computing and Mathematics here at the Institute. And today we're going to talk about the evolution of mobile development over the last number of years. I'm joined in the studio by some of our podcast regulars, Siobhan Drone. Hello, Rob. We have Eamon DeLester. Hi there. Both of uh, WIT. But today we have our first external people and we've roped in a couple of devs from the industry. We have uh, Jason Blood, who is the engineering manager on the mobile team at Distilled SCH, and Porig Howland, who is the VP of engineering at Distilled SCH. If that name doesn't mean anything to you, the names Dundeal, Daft.ie, and Adverts.ie will, because that's what all those companies actually are. Lads, you're very welcome along. Hi Rob, how are you doing? Thanks for having us Rob. No bother at all. Uh, just Maybe just get some interesting stats. Some people might think that oh, Dundeal.ie, that's somewhere where I go to you know, buy and sell second-hand phones. But ye have, have you got any kind of stats about it? Like ye, you're one of the most widely installed apps in Ireland. Uh, one of the, uh, the same with Daft as well as Dundeal uh, and Adverts. I mean, you have a ridiculous amount of views and uh, engagements every day. Yeah, so um, I guess like, um, you know, in terms of monthly active users, if we combine three, the three apps, Adverts, Staffed and Dundeal, um, we'd probably have close to a million um, monthly active users. And even in terms of roughly active installs, we'd have roughly the same. So it's quite a large audience you're meeting, yeah. even in the concepts of just being mostly Irish websites. So when we talk about scalability, this is really hitting you guys. I mean, if you're dealing with a million active users, I mean, that, that's, uh, it's not trivial. Yeah, no, it makes a huge difference. Like, um, if you're working on your own personal apps at home and, you know, like, you maybe have a couple of friends just using them, if you have a crash in the app, you know, it'll only affect one or two people and you might not even notice it. But yeah. if you're having an app that's been used thousands of times a day, it makes, uh, you know, it makes a lot more bigger of an impact if you make a mistake or, you know, that kind of thing. And that's it. So this is what we're going to talk about today, which is app development, because even if you're not into programming, you, the likelihood is you've interacted with some apps. And uh, for a lot of people it's perhaps their first engagement with a computer and a computing device now at this stage, particularly some younger people. Uh, but we might go back to the early, early days of mobile development. And maybe what we'll do is try to figure out how we got here from there. So it's 2019 now, but let's go back maybe kind of 20 years to the late 1990s, early 2000s. And what phones were then what they could do and the, I suppose the development opportunities of those. Now, most most people here in the room are far too young to remember this, but not Eamon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rob. You um, always get me on that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, but but okay, so uh, I remember in the late 90s, I think I got my first phone in 2000 uh, and there was practically no capabilities on it. It, it was calls and texts. That was about it. Yeah, I think the, the, the first change that happened was batteries got portable you didn't have to have, mm. have a backpack to take around on your back so <laughs> once that happened um, then the phones although they, they didn't require a lot of power they were very useful for as a communication device mm. but they gradually achieved some textual communication as well so the first step was sms i think that may have been first implemented in ireland by an irish company uh, i should check that before i came in but um, sms allowed people to not just talk but type mm. And then once you go beyond typing, you got a little form to fill out or maybe you got settings on your phone to configure. And from there, then the first, I think, attempt at something like an app was a thing called WAP. 
You might remember. Oh, that. I do. I did some web development in back in the day. Yes, uh, wireless it was horrible. access pro- protocol. Yeah, yeah. So there's a mini version of the web it was promoted very heavily at the time. Yeah. Dot com boom. That's right. WML. WML. What, was yeah, WML, exactly. which is a kind of a cut down version of HTML. Yes. It was absolutely horrible to yeah, deal yeah. with. Yeah. So that was promoted heavily at the time. But mm. That opened up the what you could do. You could check, you know, sports results. I think was a big thing that mm. they first pushed on it and weather and the like. Um, the next step after that then was to make the thing you're running on the phone an app itself. And, and the first attempts at that were early versions of Java and also some native operating systems on the phones in those stages. And some of the technologies would have been, I mean, we talk about Java, which is obviously still around today mm-hmm. and still has one of the most widely used languages that devs are operating with today. But I remember uh, J2ME, Java 2 Mobile Edition, Java 2 Micro Edition, which was kind of like a, a cut-down version of that. Um, what was it like developing with those tools? They were fairly primitive, uh, really. Well, Java itself was still in its early days then, uh, mm. so it was only about four or five years out from Java itself arriving on the scene in uh, 94 or 5. Um, you had a very limited kind of vocabulary to learn, very limited set of user interactions or patterns that could be supported but it was a start yeah and it uh, opened people's minds about carrying a computer in your pocket that could do something it's probably a stat i should have looked up before we came in but i think i'm pretty right in that the most widely used and installed java application on those early phones was snake yes or solitaire or something yeah something like that, like that. i think yeah. it was you remember snake that game that yes. we actually made a recently made a comeback i think yes. uh, in the new nokia phones that yeah. have uh, come out it was fiercely addictive so but there was also kind of a conflict or there was there was a different mindset back in those days about what a phone compared to what a phone was compared to the way we think of it now yeah and maybe you could just maybe describe what that is well at the time it was a telecommunications device not a computer that meant that anything running on it was heavily controlled by the telecommunications companies at that stage and they they guarded that world very carefully because I think they saw the potential of the uh, lucrative nature of it longer term. Mm. Because they were in charge, they weren't really software people, at least not consumer software people. Um, the user experience was fairly fairly crude, really, compared to what we already had at that stage on the desktop mm. and in, in computers generally. Um, that Their stronghold on it gradually weakened over time as the platforms became liberated from their control, uh, culminating in, in the arrival of iPhone and related products in the mid-noughties, late-noughties. Which I suppose brings us up to, the, up to here because this is now we're talking about the mid-2000s and the uh, Android is now in development. Uh, Andy Rubin and his mm-hmm. team are developing that. And then in 2007, the iPhone is released. And I tell you what, I have a little clip of that as well. <laughs> so, three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. So that's January 2007. It's actually about 12 years ago uh, when that was released. That was Steve Jobs 
first announcing the long rumored at the time iPhone and at that time I think the biggest selling smartphone kind of handset would have been the Blackberry and uh, I don't know does anyone here have a Blackberry? No, the, well, they used to have them in the place I used to work in at the time. Like, and it was the biggest thing about the BlackBerry was it had a QWERTY keyboard. Yeah. And people just loved that, that you could actually type your full emails on it with your proper slide out QWERTY keyboard. Um, so a lot of the, the people in business would have had it mm. um, as a resource. Any of you have BlackBerry? My dad had one. He loved it. He absolutely loved it. It was like his baby, you know. Actually, I have a clip that is indicative of that. And this is Steve Ballmer, who would have been the CEO of Microsoft at the time. And he was asked for his reaction to the launch of the iPhone. $500 fully subsidized with a plan? I said, that is the most expensive phone in the world. And it doesn't appeal to business customers because it doesn't have a keyboard, which makes it not a very good email machine. Now, it may sell very well or not. I, you know, We have our strategy. We've got great Windows mobile devices in the market today. We, you can get uh, a Motorola Q phone now for $99. It's a very capable machine. It'll do music. It'll do uh, Internet. It'll do email. It'll do instant messaging. So I, I kind of look at that and I say, well, I like our strategy. I like it a lot. Now, hindsight is a wonderful thing. and It's very easy to, you know, maybe kind of kick at Steve Ballmer. Uh, but that was the prevailing wisdom at the time. RIM with their BlackBerry were number one. Uh, Windows Mobile would have been, Windows Mobile 6, I think it was at the time, would have been a very uh, widely used system. But the iPhone came along and just totally changed things. So it wasn't the first smartphone, but it's arguably the first smartphone that matters. Yeah, there's one other anecdote about RIM and BlackBerry. The Straight after the um, uh, Steve Jobs announcement, the BlackBerry team were called in the development team were called into a meeting mm. and their opinion was that it wasn't possible <laughs> <laughs> that the phone was almost certainly an animation and it wouldn't be out in, in the year ahead so they felt they were safe they, were, they, were they felt they were still far enough ahead at that point Really? And yeah. I suppose the big difference here was this didn't have uh, it didn't have a keyboard it was all touch screen there were only a handful of buttons on it uh, and again, they really pitched their the media capabilities, uh, you know, the music, and also the web browsing experience, which I remember I had a Nokia uh, 6310 or something like that, some smartphone thing that I would have had at the time. And the web that was on it was shockingly bad. It was unusable, largely. So here we are with the iPhone, and then a number of Android handsets start to come out in the market at the same time, uh, Google pushing Android. So... And then in 2008, the app market comes out for iOS and we're into a new paradigm for onboard phone applications. And they're called apps because they were seen as being small, so apps. And they didn't want to use the word applet, I think, because that was had been used elsewhere and had connotations. So maybe we could talk a little bit about what it was like to develop an app for iOS or Android at that time and the kind of tools that would have been involved, the technologies. So I don't know who wants to go with that. Sure, yeah, so I guess... So um, go on, Jason. Um, in the early days, uh, you would have had, like for Android, you would have had Andro uh, you would have had Eclipse and Java was the language you were mainly writing in. Mm. And then on the iOS side, you would have had Xcode and Objective-C. So um, in the early days where Java, it was kind of nice because uh, people probably had a lot of that knowledge of Java in other places, like, you know, it was widely used language in other places towards the industry. 
Um, whereas Xcode um, was probably a bit of a bigger ask because there wouldn't be as many unless you were developing apps for the old Mac OS. Um, mm. You know, so I think you know the fact that I, I, iOS just grew or iOS grew so quickly was very important because developers needed to get on board with that kind of um, workflow, and it's quite different from a Java environment. Um, so there was a big jump. So if somebody had developed, you know, I suppose the, the, the key and one of the key things I think with Android's early success was that if you had developed in Java before, besides the, the kind of the, the mindset of an app developer, you kind of knew a lot of the language. You might have known the frameworks, but you knew a lot of the language. Whereas in the iOS land, in Apple land, Objective-C was very different type of language that unless you'd used it before, it is was rather different. I don't know, Porig, what you Yeah, think. when I saw Objective-C first, I thought, this is crazy. It's, it, was, <laughs> it was so different to anything else that, that um, I'd used before. Mm. And even getting your head around the concepts, so, you know, sending messages around, yeah. it just looked funny and how verbose the method names were. And but they were very long, yeah. Very, very long. Um, and I know, um, yeah, when I started learning it, I, it was, I found the, the learning curve quite steep, especially we're in the memory management side of yes. things you had to deal with, um, which, which I guess wasn't necessarily something we had to worry about on the Android side. Mm. Um, but you know, it, like it, it, it was enjoyable. It was, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a good language to learn. And I suppose the thing about it is it, that it became quite popular amongst devs to work with these technologies, whether it was Android and the associated tools or iOS and the associated tools. And it largely shifted software around. I don't know, maybe, Eamon, you might be able to reflect on that. Yeah, we, I suppose the nearest thing we had to it in development terms at the time was GUI development, building Windows apps or mm. Mac OS apps. And in fact, uh, I guess Apple's first attempt was to bring over some of that toolkits into the phone world, although they were significantly cut down and uh, and reshaped. In the desktop, you had a kind of a keyboard and a mouse pointer. That's all you had to worry about. In these newer devices, there was touch. Mm. That was something new. And in, in the case of uh, Apple, as they developed, you had multi-touch. So that generated new kind of events that the program had to cope with, new types of user experience, affordances that had to be managed. And that's quite a new world, really very tangible approach to software from the user's perspective and I, I think more challenging than what we had previously mm. in terms of, in terms of new models that had to be invented, which we're still catching up on, by the way. And I remember getting into app developments around about that time, kind of back in the early days. And I remember trying Android, actually, I was doing a, a class, uh, a master's class and something, and uh, we did a bit of Android in it very early on. And it was using the probably the version one of the uh, Eclipse plugin. Eclipse would be a ID integrated development environment that will be very popular amongst developers around the world. And there was a plugin so that you could use Android. But it was very clunky. <laughs> it worked. And there was a simulator, but it was very clunky. And you needed a beast of a machine to run it. Yeah, it took a couple of years, really, for it mm. to stabilize. And I think the lads will probably know better than we would know of the struggles in the, in the early years to get their app built and efficient enough uh, perhaps might have some views on that yeah so i think even like one oh, i think even one thing to keep in mind as well is back then as well the phones are so much slower slow so mm. little memory in them that like um you would definitely have to spend a lot more time developing your apps and might monitoring how the memory is performing and whereas now these days the phones are so powerful that like you know if you leak a bit of memory here and there it's fine yeah you don't need to worry that much but um you know even back then, like the tools were so less advanced to measure that stuff that it was even harder to spot them issues. Um, 
in some ways like on Android Studio or on Eclipse as well like there was a lot of pain points around even just simply just adding basic libraries or mm. you know that help you develop a bit quicker so you could potentially use another library that was you created by someone else that maybe you you could use their expertise in an area they could import into your project and even doing basic things like that was really painful um Congrats to lads. If you had an app um, from 19 or from 2010 or so and you tried to take that code and build and run it now, how hard would it be or would it be a big challenge or would it be just not worth the effort? Um, I think it would be pretty nightmarish because, um, especially on Android, because uh, you went from a clip or Android, I guess we'll probably be talking about this a bit later, but uh, Android switched from Eclipse to being the main environment to... Um, Android Studio, which one of the big things with Android Studio that came along was uh, the build system Gradle, mm-hmm. which meant um, you know it quite changed how the project was set up. And like um, I would very much suspect the uh, import tool would not fare f- too well mm-hmm. on a very old project. <laughs> so we might co- we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, but um, I'd like to go to yourself, Siobhan, just for a second, because one of the big things mm-hmm. about the app model as such that uh, was big was really switched me on uh, was seeing non-technical users using apps and you know you can use use my dad as an example who Mm -hmm. got a smartphone and he loved it because he could go on holidays and click on the RTE app on his phone and get the news (laughs) and that was a big thing you know but and there was no and again like Technically, you could have done that through a website. You could go to a website, you could go to mm-hmm. m.rt.ie or whatever it was and get that yep. information. I don't know, was there any of those kind of moments for you, Siobhan? Oh, I just absolutely adored it from the moment I got it from playing games and everything. It was, mm. um, but the ability to be able to just search up things really fast was like, to me, the biggest thing on it is the browser for me. I just love being connected to the internet the whole time. Mm. And even things like, you know, kind of um, when you go away on holidays, I love the maps. Yeah, you know, being able to just go, where are we? Oh, yeah, I know exactly where we are, and here's where we go. You don't have to go looking for a map when you go to a new hotel and a new city. Pick it out, and you know, you can also go like, oh, restaurants. Where where will I eat? And the phone will tell you if you mm. really want it to tell you. Um, you know, there's just the whole connectedness of every single possible thing that you might possibly ever want is available. Just go up to your app store, download it, and. You have every capability you want at this stage. And again, those are yep. all made by yep. developers. Developers, so, yeah. Uh, oh, and make even, those apps, yeah. yeah. And it's even the connectivity of being able to connect to AI things at the moment, like, you know, um, being able to connect through, through your phone, to ele- through Alexa, turn on your lights, switch on your heating. It's just, it's mind-boggling mm. what, what you can actually do now. Mm. Thank you, developers. Like <laughs> <us>. <laughs> um, right, so then we fast forward a couple of years and there is a big shift in the app development tools uh, in that uh, Apple go and uh, announce a new language, Swift, uh, still using Xcode, which they're still using, but Xcode is incrementally in- updated every year. Um, Swift is a brand new language. It takes in a lot of... It builds on... It gets rid of Objective-C, although Objective-C is still supported. And it brings in a lot of concepts that are found from functional programming and also from scripting languages, which we would have spoken about in our web development podcast uh, a while ago. And then not long afterwards, Android, uh, Google announced that Kotlin, which is a language developed by JetBrains, is now going to be a fully supported uh, environment or fully supported language for Android. So. I mean, we could maybe what we might do is we might ask uh, Eamon or Siobhan about what the developments of those languages were and then maybe ask yourselves about what that meant for actual 
full-time developers building a, a, a mission-critical system. So, Eamon, what, what did those languages and tools bring to app development? Uh, the first thing to do is you write less code. Yes. So the language is more expressive and uh, more powerful. Concepts are slightly higher level than we had before. There's a kind of bit of folklore in, in software development that the productivity of an average developer lines per day is five, funny <laughs> enough. Not 500, <laughs> it's five. Right. But it's also the case that it doesn't matter what language. Is this like, uh, there's a famous quote about James Joyce. Uh, James Joyce, somebody was asking, you didn't do any work today. He said, I did. I put a comma in this morning <laughs> and I took it out this afternoon. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's very apt, but yeah. <laughs> uh, semicolon in our case. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, the point is that uh, it doesn't matter what language it is. So if your language is more efficient, you're still writing five lines, but those five lines do a lot more. Mm. And that's what's the trend is in all aspects of development, not just mobile, but particularly in Swift and Kotlin, because the amount of boilerplate and repetition is cut down dramatically. Mm. Hugely, yeah. And um, that's one thing that we definitely noticed is like simple things like writing one small one piece of code. You could write um, 100 lines down into about five lines. And it also gives you a lot of, from a technical perspective, Kotlin helps you a lot in that it provides, we can start getting technical here, like null safety, so that mm. you're going to, if anyone here has ever coded in Java, the dreaded null pointer exception, Kotlin helps you out with that a huge amount. And when you do code in your app development, it's that is something that is is gold dust, to be honest, to, to avoid situations like that. Um, I suppose Kotlin would have come around in 2011, and it runs on the virtual machine just like Java does. Mm. And anything that you code on the virtual machine, you can use um, to develop your Android apps. And I suppose it's that's one of the reasons why it's it's usable in it. And that um, since it was announced then in 2017, it's going to be used and um, fully supported by Android Studio. It's taken off. Yeah. So then we go to... Jason and Porik from, we'll just say Dundeel, because that puts, you know, or daft.ie for, you know, the property barons amongst us. Uh, what did that mean for you guys? Well, I, I can remember when me and the guys I was working with at the time, we were all Objective-C developers. Yeah. Uh, online in the even time, looking at WWDC when it was announced, and we're all like yeah. furiously messaging each other, look at this, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, Objective-C, at that point, we were, we, we all loved iOS. iOS was amazing. Mm. But Objective C was like this kind of thing we had to deal with. It was it was a, it's a, it was a, a difficult language, let's say, or a mm. kind of a verbose language to work with. So um, when Swift came along, it, it was it was so um, like not to get too flurry, but it was a, a lot more elegant and it was a lot a lot uh, a lot nicer to write. Yeah. So I think the community just jumped on it as soon as soon as it came out. So I know on the done deal side, we jumped on it and got a lot of code over onto Swift One as soon as we could. I wonder if I, no, I could be biased here because I, I certainly would have been had my foot in the iOS land firmly at that point. First off, I was I was watching that WWDC yeah. <laughs> as well, uh, and I was like, oh, this is cool, and then immediately thought. Oh no, I'm going to have to code because I had a nice set of notes, I had a program <laughs> ready. And I was like, yeah, this is reasonably good now. This is good shape. And then I'm going to have to rewrite all of this yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and blah, blah, blah. My experience of Android at the time where the tool set were quite clunky. It was still the Eclipse plugin. Android Studio hadn't been released yet. Yeah. Uh, I found it very clunky. And just from speaking to any of my friends who were Android developers uh, or, or working in multi platforms, they preferred developing for iOS just because it was a nicer experience despite. Objective-C being a very clunky language. So I don't know, would you agree with that, Jason? I'll pass over to Jason there, yeah, Android no, expert. Yeah. I would 100% agree. Um, so like, um, I even remember back in the day, um, 
compared to iOS, it felt like iOS, if you want to set up an iOS project, it's just a one-click thing. It opens up, you're, ha- you're on your way. Whereas Android, back in the day of Eclipse mm. um, and all the dependencies, it would seem like you'd have it working one minute, then the next day you open it up again and it's broken again. <laughs> and uh, it's just... I don't know, Eclipse was a pretty hard time, to be honest, I think. Uh, and the plugin was so buggy as well. Yeah. The emulators were so slow. And even then, like, you know, you wouldn't always be able to test on the phone because you maybe only had a couple at, around at your disposal. So, you know, having a slow emulator was a real killer, whereas I think the biggest one on iOS was the em- or the simulator. It's a simulator on iOS, um, which is slightly different, but it's more or less the same thing, really. But um, So the simulator is if you're developing, you kind of have a, a virtual phone on your screen where you can test your app out. Yeah. That's what that is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, just the iOS one was so much more performance, so, you know, mm. it was much handier to use that and your development speed would just be so much quicker because of it. Yeah. Now, and then, but then we, we shift on to Android Studio, which is developed by JetBrains, who also developed the Kotlin language. Uh, and I'm assuming, I'm not aware of this, but I'm assuming Google had some sort of a hand in the development of Android Studio. Uh, yeah. Some sort of guiding hand, anyway, certainly. And this is this is a big game changer for Android development. Would you agree? Yeah, hundred percent. Like, um, so Android Studio kind of came from JetBrains IntelliJ ID, which is their main ID for Java, mm. and Android Studio is kind of the extension of that for, with all the Java tools. But the biggest thing that came with Android Studio, and it was obviously a collaboration with Google as well, was uh, the the fact that you could start using Gradle as a build tool for Android, which was a huge, huge uh, improvement because that gave you things like managing third-party libraries which would allow you to add code from other people more easy than Jap which would speed up your development which so, is really painful so, so what is a build manager? it's something that allows you to pull code from just explain what that it is it basically lets you um, it basically lets you compile the app but bring all the different parts of it together and it lets you do nice things like it lets you change things dynamically as you're building so for example one thing that was a bit painful in the early days of Android was you might want to have like um a test environment you might have a test environment in your development and you might have a, a live version of where you're developing mm. development. so for example in AdWords staff or Dundee if we're developing a feature we'll have a test environment that's just a mimic of the live website but it just means we can change things on the test environment without breaking it for users yes um, but in the old days of and- uh, Eclipse and stuff it was a lot harder to just swap out like you know switching between a test environment which might just be a case of switching out a URL to the, uh, to the, to the basically the website you're calling to mm. but uh Android Studio kind of gave you the power, um, or well, I should say, Gradle kind of gave you the power to much easily do that kind of stuff. So Gradle is, it, it, well, it's a build manager, and without getting too technical, it basically allows you to configure your project a little bit easier. And again, to pull in libraries and dependencies, which would be, um, well, things that your code is dependent on uh, in, in a more cohesive manner than what was there previously. Is that fair, would you say? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think another big thing for Android Studio was the the Eclipse plugin for Android always felt like it was just kind of something slapped on mm. on top of Eclipse, whereas Android Studio was obviously a collaboration between IntelliJ and Google where they decided how's the best way to integrate it. So I think it just the fact that this Android specific IDE really makes things a lot easier because it allows Google to make the customizations that allow developers to get some nice things for specifically Android development. Whereas with Eclipse, it wasn't like its primary purpose, it was just an addition. Yeah. So seeing as Android Studio was built on top of IntelliJ, which is developed by a company called JetBrains. And JetBrains are the crowd behind Kotlin. Was it inevitable that Kotlin would be fully supported by Android? Um, I don't actually think so, to be honest. Um, I was actually quite surprised, if I'm being honest, when Google announced that they're kind of going down the Kotlin route. Is this because Google have been developing a language for a while called Go, haven't they? Yeah, so I I, I think a large portion of it is because uh, Kotlin... 
to get a bit technical, Kotlin is still a JVM language, so it actually can interrupt with Java, mm. which meant that like um, if you want to add Kotlin into an app, they could potentially do it in a way that's just they could do a piecemeal as opposed to doing it all in one go. Mm. But I think in a lot of ways, Java the reason Google moved from Java is probably more legal reasons than okay reasons <laughs> the whole big google oracle a- case Eamon you're, you're shaking your head and, and nodding your eyes at the same time <laughs> yeah I well, guess when politics and, and kind of corporate uh, affairs enters the world uh, developers tend to throw their eyes to the heavens really but yeah. oracle um, didn't invent java it was invented by sun and of course oracle acquired sun over this period uh, and after the acquisition became much more guarded about their intellectual property and a big court case which is still ongoing i think still not fully resolved between google now and oracle around the licensing of java so kotlin maybe uh, another reason for doing it uh, would be that they have uh, they can hedge their bets in case some of those appeals don't go their way right okay mm-hmm. so what we've been talking about so far is native app development. And when we talk about native app development, that means developing for a specific platform using the the official set of tools, shall we say. Uh, but there's another one, which is cross-platform development or hybrid or web app. Could maybe one of you explain what that is? I know, Eamon, you go for it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, people are wondering why we're obsessed about our tools but we've learned two completely different tool sets to target Android and iOS. So the holy grail has always been learn one tool set and you get an app for either platform. So why um, hasn't it happened? It has happened. This is the point. Uh, has happened several times and several <laughs> attempts have been made and each one has usually fallen up short. Uh, even a, a user, I think, using an app might be able to detect a slight clunky feel around some of the apps they're using. Yeah. Usually an indication that there's some, some level of remove there between the app you're using on a native one. I think the lads probably have experienced that in their early days. So, yeah, so what, 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 from a user's point of view, maybe, what is that clunkiness? Oh, I think it's uh, the buttons just take a little bit longer to press. Yeah. <laughs> you can also see it. The fonts look slightly out. Yeah. Uh, and the overall performance is just slightly off. Not a very fast phone, you might notice it. Yeah. But on an older phone, you definitely would. Yeah. And connoisseurs would be... I think it's a perception thing because yeah. th- those web those web views, uh, if you're clicking on that button in let's say Safari or Chrome, it's acceptable. But when you're doing it inside a native app, it, it yeah. feels slow. Yeah. So this is where essentially you write a web application, like a, like a mobile website, and then you wrap it up so that it appears to the user like a, like an app. Is that what this is? That's essentially it. Yeah, you 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 write your JavaScript, HTML, CSS. You wrap it up and put it inside for all intents and purposes, a browser inside your app. Yeah. Um, so you launch the app like a native app, but it's uh, it's HTML and JavaScript in the background. Yeah. And there's been a number of, I suppose, tools or platforms that support this. I remember PhoneGap back in the day. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of ones that are out there now. Um, Xamarin, which is a Microsoft one, uh, where you write apps in C Sharp. Uh, I don't know how popular that is. I've never used it. I have no idea. I would never use it. Uh, there's React Native, which is a Facebook thing. Uh, I don't know. I've never used it. See, there's mixed feelings about it. You, you use that, do you? No, we, we, we've, I, I've, we've played around with it, but, but, but we don't use it in our apps. Um, we okay. use it on our, on, we use React um, for our websites. Okay. Um, I think the feeling is that um, it's, it's not a bad idea, actually. And I think, let's say, if I was to have a startup in the morning, I, I might use it. But I think where it might fall down is when you want to get 
do something a little bit more um, advanced or a little bit something closer to the, the metal of the phone mm. that, that yeah. is, if you're using the native language you've got more control there I know like Airbnb have were heavily involved with, with uh, React Native and they dumped it all they completely. recently backed out yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so they're just gone full Kotlin and full Swift isn't it yeah, yeah. yeah. they did say nice things on the way out though yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of the important points as well with like uh, React uh, Native and um, also Flutter which is a similar thing mm. Is that though? At least with the things like Xamarin or how you pronounce it. Um, I, I'm not sure. Xamarin. I'm not entirely I'm not sure, sure actually myself. But, um, yeah. It starts with an X. Yeah, they <laughs> kind of translate the web like kind of. It's kind of like more or less wrapped around a web view, whereas mm. React Native and so on actually kind of builds native UI components, which is the big difference. Like it still is a real app. Yeah. Um, to use that term, real, but like uh, that's one of the big differences. But I think you know it depends on what you need. Um, so I suppose the the, the drawback of this is that there is a perceived diminishing on the user's experience. And user experience, or UX, or whatever you want to call it, seems to be a very important part of the the app paradigm. I don't know, maybe Siobhan, you might reflect on that. Yeah, you. anyone, has, if you've ever downloaded an app that doesn't appeal to you looks-wise, you generally don't use it. So there is, there's a huge amount of... Um, theory behind it and making sure that your material design is correct and that you've got the right colours and you know just and usability that you know you've you've always had a whenever you browse something you don't want to have to click four or five times to get into something you want to be able to see it straight away and be able to get access mm. navigate really fast through the app so the user experience matters just like it does with the website that it's all the the same uh, translates down into app level as well yeah I mean, and you guys, how, how important is user experience in the Dundeal family of things? I mean, your, your colours are quite, uh, certainly Dundeal, the colours are very uh, famous. Yeah, yeah, the yellow and the red. And then Daft as well, even the like the logo for Daft, they're, yeah, they're quite, yeah. and, and, the, and the colour scheme this year, it's very, um, it's consistent. Yeah, I think so. So, so we're sl- we're slightly changing it. We're slightly changing it a bit on the Dundee side at the moment. We're kind of gradually starting to move a little bit away from the yellow. Ah. Uh, the red is still there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think so. Like even even adverts, you can like that orange is very distinctive. Mm. Um, I, I think um, from a UX point of view, the the best example I have of the importance of it is um, when we years ago now when we redone the Dundee app. Um, we we kind of we, we introduced the burger menu because we had all of our menu items hidden behind. Uh, uh, sorry, what's a burger menu? Might just oh, sorry, yeah, burger menu is a it's a it's a button that will be in the top left right hand corner of the left left or right hand corner of the app, and you click on it, and a menu appears from the side. Mm. Um, so when we did that, we were getting hammered in our app reviews. We were getting one star, two star reviews, and it was all down to navigation and people not being able to find their way around the app. And when we backed out of that and brought in a toolbar and just started using standard iOS navigation elements, we saw our, our ratings go back up to like four and five. So mm. so like it's. Uh, you use like our, our users want to buy something or they want to sell something. They don't want to care about navigation items, so it has to be intuitive and easy to use. And yeah, yeah. There's something like a, a ten second rule, I think, with apps. It might even be shorter. That if it doesn't make sense on that first download, good luck. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like it, again, like uh, buying a car is a complicated thing. Mm. Uh, so your job is to buy a car. It's not to try and figure out how do I manage <laughs> this app or how do I find my way around it. The app should almost fade into the background. Yeah. So it's an important that you have to get that right. And of course, that's a, there's a huge amount of skill involved in that. It's not uh, trivial. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, I'm a big fan of cooking analogies. Okay, so I've been kind of making a couple of notes here on what we've been discussing and I'm going to try and put it into some cooking analogies. Often we use the developer as a chef. Okay, so the developer is a cook. 
in a restaurant. Would you say if you're a developer who's been cooking in a high-end restaurant, moving to an app model is maybe like moving to one of those high-end hipster food trucks? <laughs> Would that be fair? You a hipster, Jason? <laughs> you don't have to be a hipster, okay? Um, NSHipster.com, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a great website, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it was a bit hipster. I think it's somewhat why I got into got into the mobile development because it was new. It was kind of exciting mm. and. Uh, you know, I think it is fair to say it was a bit hipster. I think it's a bit normal now, so I think it's quite uh, out of the hipster zone now. <laughs> okay, but but it's also moving from a kind of a big restaurant to a food truck, if you know what I mean, in that you're still cooking, if you think cooking is like writing code, but you're moving to, I suppose, a different environment. Yeah, I'd say, uh, to continue the analogy, you, you also have to be able to drive the truck. Yes. And you're doing some repairs, you're fixing punctures and stuff along the way, and yeah. you're a mechanic for a truck. So it's it's an expanded role to a certain extent from old style enterprise development. And to take that analogy a little bit further, Android and iOS are two different types of food trucks. One is, I don't know, vegetarian falafel truck, <laughs> and the other one is a barbecue, you know, meat roasted over a flame truck, in that they both essentially serve food from the truck but there are two different types of food would that be praise or actually no maybe a better one is that one comes in a wrap and the other one comes on a plate <laughs> <laughs> that, that maybe maybe well maybe. i think the other one the android truck actually is 50 trucks okay <laughs> there's, there's so many different versions whereas the apple one is is, is one truck okay and that's maybe why we the, the why can't you serve all of that from the one truck if we were talking about the kind of the, the cross-platform, mm -hmm. because you're trying to do barbecue, multiple types of barbecue, <laughs> and your yeah. lovely veggie falafel from the one type of truck, and it just doesn't really work properly yet. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. They can, like, what an Android user expects is slightly different than what an iOS user expects when they mm -hmm. go to use an app. And even from a development point of view, you often see you're an Android developer or an iOS developer. I think Jason is one of the few people who's senior at both. Um, but yeah, I think people follow a path and they, they stick to their, their OS. Mm. Yeah. Now, to go a little bit further and possibly peer into the future, I was reading about cross-platform model code or cross-platform logic. That rather, So rather than trying to do cross-platform whole app, let's just do part of it. And I believe Kotlin has these capabilities. Now, I haven't tried it. I've only read about it. I don't really know much about it at all. So using your analogy, would this mean that we could possibly have a supplier or some fella <laughs> who's sitting behind the food trucks chopping vegetables or doing something like that that can provide ingredients to both our lovely falafel wrap, uh, our falafel food truck and equally our multiple barbecue food trucks? Would that be possibly where this could go in the future? Possibly, but I f think it's quite difficult because uh, we have Apple versus Google, basically. And I think um, as long as that kind of barrier exists and there's no real standard, it's kind of hard to break from that. So, like, um, there is things like Kotlin, I think it's Kotlin Native, I think it's called. Yeah, Kotlin Native. Um, yeah. Where you could potentially start sharing some of your model code across it. But end of the day, you're relying on JetBrains to keep supporting Apple. And, like, you know, Kotlin Native, the next app release, uh, or, app, or iOS release could break and then you're relying on jet brains and so on so like in kind of a big production app you'd be very wary of adding that kind of layer whereas maybe in your own personal project you might do it or maybe if you're a small team you might see the benefits of getting you know getting like you know being able to just write it once and use it in multiple places and that's somewhat the dream for like you know these shared platforms as well as to you know write it once 
and have it available everywhere like you know ideally web mobile or yeah. ios android but you know i think in practice it doesn't really come down to that because you always end up writing specific android code specific ios code which kind of defeats the purpose so the google barbecue trucks the back door is open but the apple falafel truck the back door is closed and we Very can't so. yeah we can't get it in. We're, we're working hard not to stay with you there Rob. Yeah, I, 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 i'm getting hungry now um, right so let's just finish up with this Say somebody was saying, oh, do you know what? I've never tried a bit of app development. I'd like to give it a go. Would you have one bit of advice for them? Maybe we'd start with Siobhan. Well, I suppose you'd want to be some level of a developer to even attempt it at this stage um, to do proper app development. So if you if you have any sort of a um, object-oriented language, you could easily definitely download the Android Studio package and start um, just basically start following videos on YouTube on how to build a basic app yeah so yeah. maybe do some other programming first and yeah. if you go back to yeah. some of our earlier podcasts about getting started in computer yeah. programming yeah. we've got lots of great tips on that that's it they, but they would definitely have to have had their toe in the in the coding field beforehand yeah. Eamon yeah it, it, it's probably a little bit harder than in other um, environments to start certainly but you could download studio press new press ok about five times <laughs> and then press run and then just see what happens yeah um you won't be able to do anything really until you've done, as Siobhan says, spent maybe half an hour, an hour watching a video, then dipping back in in your toes gradually. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll put out a link to our courses, so anybody listening here will get a link to a starter course. Excellent, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I suppose uh, just to put a pitch in for the iOS people, you could also, if you have a Mac, you can download Xcode and do the same kind of thing there. But uh, good luck with you trying to navigate <laughs> it uh, completely. <laughs> completely as a virgin developer and lads maybe yourselves what would you recommend i would say just try and start with a basic app and keep building it up adding features um because really at the end of the day the only way you're going to get better or learn it is just by doing it yeah so yeah mm-hmm. i'd say like it's, it may be a little bit harder so you know a bit of programming experience is, is is useful first but it's something to stick up like if you look at the millions of visitors you would have to done deal it's, um, I think it's uh, six to one are on a mobile device. So if you're in any way going to be yeah. using a, <laughs> or building something that the user's going to interact with, mobile is where things are going. So it's, it's a good thing to stick with. Brilliant. Right. Well, I think that's a nice place to finish on. So to uh, Jason Blood and Porig Howlin of Dundeal, Aversot.ie and Daft.ie, uh, a.k.a. Distilled S.E.H., although that doesn't have the sexiness of the, the <laughs> other ones. Uh, to Eamon Lester and Siobhan Drone of WIT, thank you very much for being part of this episode of The Machine. I said I was going to do a website over Christmas and I didn't because I spent my time playing Mario Party on the Switch with the kids <laughs> to be honest with you uh, so I haven't got it done and I just you can build a web app yeah we have a Twitter account that is kind of active uh, machine underscore podcast uh, so if you want to send us an old tweet at that or get in touch please do or you can find any of us by just looking us up on the WIT website uh, we're going to be back we're going to have a we've pro- programs uh, scheduled in for the rest of uh, the uh, 2019 semester so uh, keep Keep an eye on this podcast because hopefully we'll have plenty of content coming soon. Thanks very much, folks. Thank you. Thank you. See you, Rob. Cheers, guys.